thank you for that introduction and thank you for, for having me here. Um, I'll launch, I'm going to summarize uh, 1400 years of world. I'm going to summarize a bit. And uh, I think this is particularly important. I don't know if you know a book edited by Ambrose Bierce about a century ago. It's called The It's you know, screamingly funny, you know, definition of politics, you know, the use of public resources to try to explain. Um, war, it says, war is God's way of teaching Americans geography. It's also my experience, it, it, it's also God's, one of God's ways of teaching us history. And because in the United States, among the more unhistorical people on the planet, we often have a saying, oh, that's history, which means it's That's history, which means it matters. It shapes, it tells us who we are and where we are and why we're here. And especially in the Muslim world, that's important. And there's so much of which we are not aware of which Muslims are, often wrong, wrongfully. And this has led to a lot of the tensions and indeed to uh, terrorism, which we see now. So let's review some of this history. According to Muslim tradition, um, Muhammad was born in uh, 570 and died in 632. And uh, he did that in uh, Mecca, which is here. At the time of his death, he was, apart from a religious teacher, he was also a political leader and a trader and a general. At the time of his death, they controlled this area, the dark purple, was under Muhammad and Muslim control. Okay, if we go to the year 661, we have the middle purple. Okay, realize this is 29 years after Muhammad's death. The Muslim Arab armies are on the Atlantic Ocean and moving into what is now Afghanistan. If we move on to the year 750, 130, and now we look at the uh, light purple, we see the takeover of Spain and Portugal and, we, and into some of France. Um, actually, because this leaped ahead 100 years, of course, part of that expansion went as far as here to Poitiers to 150 miles south of Paris. So in the year 732, 100 years after Muhammad's death, there were Muslim armies on the Loire River in France here and in what is now India and China. So that's the first 100 years of mammoth expansion. If we go to the year 1100, hope you can see that uh, this green line, but I'll trace it, 
large parts of what is now Turkey, the Mediterranean, being pushed back in Spain, but now expanding into sub-Saharan Africa. Down, way down the east coast, what is now Africa, Mauritius, then moving deeply into uh, India and into Central Asia. Moving ahead to the year 1500, uh, actually pushed back out of Spain here, but further down into Africa, into what is, is now Nigeria, Ghana, and so on, the takeover of the east coast of Africa, now having most of India and what we now call Bangladesh and what we uh, now call uh, Myanmar, then takeover um, of Indonesia and Malaysia, and actually we should have the southern Philippines in here. And then move into areas of what is now China, and then huge swathes of Russia going up here, taking over uh, Moscow, and then into southeastern Europe, uh, Greece, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, Serbia, uh, Hungary, um, uh, southern, southern Poland, um, and uh, Austria, and others. Okay. The expansion here was largely peaceful through traders and missionaries, and the other areas was usually by conquest. Um, two things I, I want to mention about this. Um, firstly, the, the fact that sort of Arab Muslim armies engaged in conquest when they could was not unusual. The Byzantine Christians would have done the same if they could. Others would have done the same. The Mongols did the same. Uh, but what is one of the amazing things is the stunning success of this expansion. Second point to make, and this is often forgotten with Westerners, we, we know something about our invasions of Muslim-majority lands. We don't know the other way. So when, when, when I talk about uh, um, Arab armies in France or in, into Switzerland, or the sack of Rome, the burning of Rome in 838 by Arab army. People are simply unaware of this. Uh, at some point in its history, over half the landmass of Europe has been controlled by Muslims. We forget that. You ask, wh why are the people in Hungary so upset about Muslim immigrants? A lot of reasons. But one is they were actually controlled by the Turks for several centuries. People in Romania, Bulgaria, the same response. Same thing with southern Russia. So, um, anyway, those two points I, I will uh, seek not to digress. So, so this is, in red, areas at one time under Muslim rule. We could add southern France, but that was fairly short, 20, 30 years, and parts of uh, Italy. So, if you're a Muslim, when you look back at this history, you see this continual expansion for 1,000 years. And it wasn't just uh, military control, but you were, it was also the wealthiest civilization in the world. Culturally, in terms of philosophy and literature, it was probably the most significant. So in, in terms of culture, wealth, and political power, 
It was outstanding. It had few rivals. There was, of course, uh, um, China, but China kept within its own borders and was not a competition. There were no large kingdoms in Africa. Um, and Europe was fragmented and relatively poor and weak. So Islam ruled the world. And there is a notion of long-suffering uh, within Islam, but it's much less significant than it is within Christianity. And uh, there's much more expectation of success. Not just success in a spiritual fashion, but also worldly success. You know, uh, that the true religion should manifest itself in its conquest, in, in ruling, in achievement. And if you're a Muslim for a thousand years, you look at the world around you and everything tells you your religion is true. It has displaced everything. Look, what else could there be? So there's this tremendous uh, sense of uh, achievement and success that world history testifies to the truth of your faith. You know, if we, if we called it a prosperity gospel, it worked for a thousand years. And then it changed. Obviously, it didn't change quickly in one second. Uh, it just meant they started losing more battles than they had before or other countries started getting relatively richer. And then you started losing more battles than you won, and you slowly retreated. It was a, a process which took centuries, and I'll, I'll try and outline it. But um, if I wanted to take one symbolic date as a, a turning point, it would be September the 11th, 1683. This was the second time that uh, Muslim Turkish armies had advanced on Vienna. They were there in 1525, the siege of Vienna then. There they retreated. They weren't defeated. They just had to go back. Um, 1683, they were badly defeated. And so there was defeat in uh, Vienna here. And after that, slowly pushed back out of Europe. And what happens now is a, a grinding four centuries long pattern of defeat. So um, lots, everything's happening together, but I'll describe three overlapping waves. One is firstly the Europeans who regarded themselves as Christian, they were regarded as Muslims as Christian. Um, the categories used were usually religious ones, began to drive Muslims out of the European Christian areas. So this began early in Spain, but pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, until in 1492, the um, uh, Muslim armies, the Moorish armies in Spain, were finally defeated uh, with the co collapse of Granada. And as a side, I shouldn't make a sides because time is short. But in 1492, uh, the emperor and empress Ferdinand and Isabella were in the gardens at the city of Granada, having just taken over the last Moorish city, when a, a guy looking for a grant, a guy named Christopher Columbus, showed up asking for money to go to the Americas. And they were in a good mood. 
so he got his three ships and sailed off to portion of the globe, which at this point isn't relevant. A thing about Columbus, what was he doing? Going to America. He wanted to get here. And you could get there, of course, but you had to sail through all of these areas where there would be pirates or people claiming taxes, whether you went by land or whether you went by the ocean. He was trying to sail around the Muslim world. The Portuguese did the same in going down here and set up a colony in Goa. The Portuguese also set up a colony here and tried to invade Mecca. But uh, the Europe, Europeans are slowly starting to reclaim these lands. After the uh, second siege of Vienna, pushed out, out of Austria, pushed out of Hungary, pushed out of Bulgaria, pushed out of what is now the Czech Republic. The Russians also expanded and uh, pushed back the Central Asians, uh, Golden Horde and others, from the plains of Russia itself, from Ukraine, then down to the Caucasus, into places whose names we now recognize, Dagestan, Chechnya. So they pushed, and then moving into Central Asia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, and so on. Continual expansion there. So one pattern is, so to speak, the reclamation, and this wasn't reclamation, but moving on, of European, quote, Christian lands. At the same time, the Europeans, I just mentioned the Portuguese, begin a process which we now call colonialism, which is merely traditional imperialism. Colonialism is nothing new in, in world history. The only difference was it was done by maritime means. Most empires, Roman, Ottoman, Arab, whatever, invade the person next door by marching them. Uh, doing it largely by coastal means, that was the difference. So you weren't taking over the place next, well, you t would take over the place next door, you know, but someone like the Brits are taking over a place here. So what happens is uh, the Portuguese uh, expansion, uh, take over what is now uh, Mozambique and uh, Angola, um, Goa down here, some islands here, Timor. Uh, the Dutch managed to control most of the uh, East Indies. The Spaniards take over the Philippines and others. The Brits take over what is now uh, Malaysia, then uh, Pakistan and India, this uh, whole area. Europeans also started taking over these coasts, say with the British and Nigeria and moving north. So then you had Christian people meeting Muslims in northern uh, Nigeria. So, but there's a takeover by people seen by Muslims as Christians, Western Christians, are taking over all the outskirts of the Muslim world. These places are still majority Muslim, but they are now being ruled by infidels. <coughs> so, the, uh, I will make one aside, by the way. The British and the Dutch were fighting in this area. These are the famed Spice Islands. Well, spice Islands, where nutmeg and all the other things came. Very, very valuable. The Dutch controlled most of them, but the, the British did manage to control one, which, whose name was Run. And um, the Dutch wanted them out because it was a valuable island. Plus, you didn't want a British garrison right in the middle of a Dutch territory. Because remember, 
it wasn't like the Christians were sitting around fighting the Muslims. The Dutch were fighting the British and everybody was. So, so, the, uh, so they offered a swap. Um, the Brits offered to give the island of Rum to the Dutch in exchange for another, another island, which was swapped the other way. Do you know what the other island was? You're standing on it. It was called Manhattan. So the little island of Rum here was swapped for Manhattan. Exam question, who got the best deal? Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I'll throw in these snippets. So then we move ahead. So we, we have um, this map, virtually every all, you know, these territories, the French and the Spanish are controlling here, the Italians, the Libya, all these outlying Muslim areas, Muslim majority areas outside the Middle East are taken over by infidels. Okay, so leaping ahead, sorry for the different formats of maps, but nobody does a series like this. Till we get to 1925, uh, in the aftermath of the First World War, the only Muslim-majority countries which were actually running themselves, that is, being ruled by Muslims, were Saudi Arabia, and in this we can include Yemen, Iran, Turkey, and Afghanistan. British and French control this area, as we know. The British effectively controlled um, Egypt. And Turkey was highly secular under Ataturk. He'd taken over. He was probably an atheist. Uh, he was an alcoholic and a womanizer. Um, he changed from Arabic script. Um, and um, it secularized the place. He also abolished the caliphate, the nominal ruler of all the Muslims, the caliph. The caliph was a bit like the Holy Roman Emperor. Um, someone was actually supposed to be the emperor of all these old Roman territories till 1917. But it existed on paper, it didn't mean much. And, and the caliph who was in, uh, centered in Istanbul, the Sultan of the Turks, you know, the people over in Malaysia didn't know he existed, much less were controlled by him. But the idea was there was a nominal ruler of all the Muslims which gave a coherence. 1924, Ataturk, the ruler of Turkey, abolishes it. Tells the guy, you know, push off, go away. So for the Muslim world, the 1920s were the low point. Uh, Osama bin Laden always used to go on about this. He says, they, the British, the French, and the Italians, they divided the whole world. And in this setting, so Turkey's being highly secular. Persia, Iran is pretty secular. Afghanistan's back away, no worse. So that left Saudi Arabia as effectively the only Muslim-majority country governing itself, having a claim to be Muslim. And, that's, and that was the case until, um, uh, well, it's still the case now. But in 1990, you might remember, Iraq invaded Kuwait and looked like it was going to carry on going to Saudi Arabia. And so the Saudis asked for help from, amongst others, the Americans. So American troops arrived here in, uh, in Saudi Arabia. The only Muslim-majority country which had not had infidel troops on it. Americans show up, hello, we're from the government, we're here to help. 
So just to quote bin Laden again, and um, al-Baghdadi of, of ISIS, the Islamic State, does the same. The, the, the latest and greatest insult. Now infidel troops walk on the land where Muhammad trod. So if, if you look at this pattern, you know, from here down to here, you don't have to be paranoid to see a trend. The wars are coming in, they're pushed out of Europe, who are losing Africa, we're losing South A Southeast Asia, we're losing South Asia, and then they're coming in here. So you, you have this, so the areas under Muslim rule at one time, you went from that to this. And the question is why? Why a thousand years of stunning success with 400 years of crushing failure? Military failure? Political failure, you're being controlled by others, but cultural failure. I mean, um, you know, who reads Arab books in this period or Turkish books? Well, actually, the Arabs didn't. Um, uh, in terms of, would you look here for philosophy, mathematics, science, how many Nobel Prizes, um, human rights tables, you know, how in, in almost every league table, uh, the Muslim world, at least especially the greater Middle East, is near the bottom. So you will ask the question, why? What is the title of one of Bernard Lewis's books, which is on this? What went wrong? And in the Muslim world, there is still continuing debate about um, this. And one trend, one trend of thought says um, we were closed in on ourselves, we didn't pay attention to other cultures, we didn't learn, we should have learned from the West before and we should learn now. We're backward, we need, we need to catch up, so we need to be more open. The, the, the posture, say, taken by um, Ataturk and uh, many others. And another school of thought says, no, our problem is we did start relying and trusting the infidels. We started imitating them. And that's why we failed. When we were good, true, and pure Muslims, we succeeded. The world fell at our feet, and the promises that God gave us were fulfilled. Then, to use a Christian expression, we went chasing after foreign gods. And that collapse is what happens to us. So what we need to do is have a purified Islam, get back to what we were. Uh, we need, so the Islamist movements, that is movements which want a very strong political I Islam, um, are at the first level a revival movement. Because, you know, if you say the reason we failed is because were unfaithful. Who's, who's, who's your first problem? It's not the infidels. It's the Muslims. The ones who you know, won't get to the program, or worldly, who are not strict and disciplined. So the first focus is to try and get Muslims to revert to this imagined 7th or 8th century Islam, which probably wasn't like that anyway. So you would find that with uh, groups like the Muslim Brotherhood 
his book, Korea. Again, it, it's a revivalist movement to get Muslims with the program. Only then can we have political power. If you look at outright terrorist movements, um, Al-Qaeda, um, the Islamic State, again, they, um, they want to bring Muslims around to their way of thinking, but very often by, simply by terrorizing them, saying, if you're not our type of Muslim, you're an apostate and you will be killed. And, and they do that. Uh, and what are they aiming for? Uh, they want to take over Muslim lands. They want to take over Egypt. They want to take over uh, Albania, uh, Morocco, Malaysia. Take it over in the sense of they want their uh, type of Islam there. But if you look at a movement who large parts of whom are nonviolent, Hizbut Tariya, it's, it's a legal organization in the United States that operates here. This is their map of the future caliphate. Um, we need, for them, we need to get back to this. They've missed out a few bits down here, but um, as you will note, this bears a striking similarity to the red map you saw earlier of the outer limits of Islam. This is an Islamic state map. And very much, they, for some reason, they're not going into India, but this is their reimagined caliphate. As you can see, uh, large chunks of Europe and European Russia and so on. They don't include Sicily, whereas Hisbutria does, but they do include large chunks of Switzerland. So if you're looking at the Islamic State, um, what is it they want to take back? Uh, they're quite vocal about this. Remember, they got websites. They publish online magazines. They're glossy. They're very well done. They produce documentaries. They make no, you know, they're, it's like launching a movie. They give you press kits for each of their battles, which we resolutely ignore and say, oh, it's about Israel and the Palestinians. No, it's about the restoration of the caliphate. They're quite clear uh, uh, on that score. So, so you have uh, Islamists who are usually not violent, like the Muslim Brotherhood, with this dream, and you have violent terrorist groups like the Islamic State with this dream. So there's the areas at one time under Muslim rule, and there's the ISIS map. I'll leave Indonesia off here. So wh what does this, all this mean for us, a lot of history? Uh, firstly, it's important that we are aware of it. I find Westerners in talking about the history of Christian-Muslim relations say, oh, the Crusades. Did you notice I didn't mention them? Because they were not important. Nobody thought they were important at the time. I mean, those battles took place. It all happened. But the idea of the significance of the Crusades comes up in the 19th century. People attempting to tie it into colonialism. It was, an it was an attempt to have a brief fight back from that thousand years of Muslim continual Muslim expansion I mentioned. Crusaders went in there for a while, 150 years, were pushed out. Muslims never made a big deal. I mean, actually, they won the war, so why is this big trauma for them? And then carried on their advance uh, back into uh, Europe. So we need to be aware of these histories. That um, there was colonialism. Westerners, Christians, took over large swathes of Muslim and other lands. 
it was preceded by a thousand years of events the other way, reaching as far as Iceland, by the way. There were slave raids in Iceland uh, from Arabs in 1625. Uh, be aware of this history so we don't go around feeling guilty all the time about what we've done to the Muslim world. I mean, there are things to feel guilty about, but it's not like we've spent 1,500 years being the bad guys. Um, uh, secondly, be aware that Muslims are aware of this, and there's often a sense of grievance. It could be very low level, I mean, not lying awake at night, but a sense of grievance. For others, it's a burning grievance. So, you know, when you get terrorists, it's burning grievance. We are seeking uh, revenge for these things which have done. Um, it can also produce a sort of uh, grievance is close to resentment, but re resentment often has an element of shame in it. Why a proud, civil, a proud civilization with magnificent architecture and philosophy and poetry now reproduce almost nothing? Um, why is this? So you've fallen from the heights and now you're, you're looked down on. And that's very hard to take. So in terms of contact with Muslims, there are many other levels of how to relate to neighbors and things of this kind. But uh, at a political level, uh, understanding ordinary Muslims or more politically active Muslims or up into terrorism, a, there is a mindset with this as a background. And it's something we need to be aware of and to be able to discuss intelligently, so we're not pushed into guilt traps, nor into arrogance traps. Uh, there's no reason why Islam needs to be, Islamic countries need to be at the bottom of these tables. They weren't before. We need to maybe find some other reasons there. But anyway, uh, here my last statement, that I've emphasized conflict and people taking over land that was certainly going on. But remember, that was one dimension of it. I did mention, of course, the Christians were fighting each other. A lot of the time, the Muslims fought each other. And Muslims would make treaties with Christians to fight other Christians or Muslims. There was interaction. And people were trading with each other all the time. So it, it wasn't just fighting. And, but there was um, ongoing interaction, trade, uh, reading each other's books. Uh, having arguments, you know, Thomas Aquinas is seeking uh, the Summa Contra Gentiles. He's arguing with Muslim philosophers. So lots of things going on in the world except uh, other than fighting. But there's been a lot of fighting. And we've had a pattern of sort of Muslims winning, Christians winning. Are we now going into a pattern of Muslims winning again? Or rather, in what ways can we try and make sure that this sort of pattern does not continue? And for that, at least, we need to know about it. Thank you very much.